today on CityCast Denver. We're taking some time off as the year wraps up, but we didn't want to leave you hanging. So we're replaying some of our favorite episodes of the year and bestowing some well-deserved superlatives. Our pick for the guest who was most likely to make your mouth water and your tummy grumble is... Adrian Miller. Back in May, I talked to Adrian about his book called Black Smoke, African Americans and the United States of Barbecue. So sit back and enjoy some delicious Colorado history. We'll be back in the new year with fresh episodes. Today is Monday, December 27th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. I went to a pig roast once in the mountains where they cooked the pig in this hole in the ground. I gotta say, I didn't love seeing the pig that way before I ate it, but it did taste delicious. And it turns out this has been a popular way to cook meat in this part of the country for a long time. I make references to some Native Americans calling those meat holes. That would be the English translation. When it comes to barbecue, the national debate always seems to revolve around Kansas City, Texas, the Carolinas, mustard-based sauce versus ketchup-based, how long are you smoking your brisket, etc., etc. But what's Colorado's role? How should we introduce you on the show? Oh, so you know what's funny is um, I had a contest where basically a lot of people created hype names for me. There's like Sultan of Smoke, Pharaoh of Fire, you know, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them you can choose from. On the show today, the Sultan of Smoke, the Czar of Char, the Baron of Babyback, the Titan of Tri-Tip. He's a three-time James Beard Award winner, and his new book is called Black Smoke, African-Americans and the United States of Barbecue. It's Adrian Miller. Well, thanks for joining me, Adrian. I appreciate it. Good to be with you. We're going to talk about your book, Black Smoke, which chronicles the role of black barbecues, pitmasters, and restaurateurs in this larger picture of barbecue. And I wondered, um, what was the impetus for you to write this book? Well, it was really just uh, consuming a lot of food media and getting a bad case of indigestion because there was <laughs> so few um, African Americans either interviewed or depicted or even just discussed. And uh, that didn't square with my own experience growing up because barbecue is a huge part of African-American food culture. And then anyone who takes an earnest look at barbecue history understands that African-Americans made significant contributions. Not, we're not, you know, role players here. Uh, so, yeah, to, to use a term of art, it was whack. <laughs> the lack, yeah, the lack of representation in a, in a clearly, really a space where black folks have ex accelerated in the food space. Yep. Did you find anything interesting about particularly in and around Colorado or, or our region in general where barbecue was, was happening or had different, any sort of different historical references? Well, what was happening in Colorado was pretty similar to what I would say is the Latino tradition of Mesoamerica. Uh, so the idea of an earth oven. So the, what people were doing, indigenous people were doing in this part of the country were digging a vertical hole putting a heat source at the bottom, that would be a mixture of, of wood and, and stones because you light the wood on fire and then it, the stones would retain the heat. Um, and then layering vegetation, in this case they were doing bison, uh, vegetation and meat, um, 
And then you would cover that whole thing up and you would either do this really early in the morning and eat later in the day or you would do it later in the day and let it cook overnight and then wake up and have an incredible breakfast of champions. <laughs> so that's that's what that's what we see here in this part of the of the country. And in fact, I make references to some Native Americans calling those meat holes. That would be the English translation. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. What's the barbecue scene like here in Denver historically? Do we have... Do we have roots here in barbecue? I mean, I know a little bit, but I would say it's not a well-known type of cooking here in Denver. So in terms of Colorado barbecue, the thing is that, you know, we think of barbecue as splintered into all, all these regional styles and things. But that is really only about 100 years of barbecue history. The first few hundred years, barbecue was pretty much made the same way. It was getting a whole animal butterflying it and then cooking it directly over a trench filled with hardwood burning coals. So that's what a lot of people did. Um, and so we see that in early Colorado. Now the meat of choice in Colorado was actually lamb and ah. bison. Uh, so Colorado has a very long tradition of cooking lambs. In fact, in the 1890s, there, there was something called Greeley Potato Days. So it was a celebration of the potato harvest. And there are newspaper reports of a lamb barbecue being made to celebrate that harvest. And, you know, this, this lamb barbecue was feeding 5,000, 10,000 people. And, um, you know, we just never really rode that. Uh, I was going to say ride that horse, but maybe that's the wrong analogy. Um, <laughs> but we never really took it to a point where we developed a regional style, which is a missed opportunity on our point. And actually, one of the things I'm just kind of eager to do is I, I actually want us to have some kind of contest or something where we create a signature barbecue dish. Now, the only way that's going to work is people then have to embrace it and cook it at home and feature it in restaurants. Because if we have a recipe and nobody makes it, then you can't call that a regional style. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I grew up here and I, I don't have any reference other than Daddy Bruce of, of any barbecue centric things happening here. Mm -hmm. um, with a, with that, looking at those, t you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, and what What is the role of Denver's black community in our barbecue scene? Oh, Denver's uh, black community is pivotal to our barbecue because you have to understand barbecue is hard work. And so yeah. the racial norms of the 18th and 19th century, you could say even into the 20th century, what if, if, there's, if there was hard work that needed to be done, make African-Americans do it. Now, if you didn't want to pay them, you know, you would have enslaved African-Americans do it. But essentially barbecue was not, you know, the craft kind of lens that it's viewed through now, that was not the case back then. It was menial work, which was appreciated because barbecue is delicious, but it was very labor intensive. And so uh, when you go back and look at a lot of descriptions of barbecues, 
Um, not exclusively, but for the most part, African-Americans were doing the labor um, in terms of cooking it, um, all the prep work, and then serving it. Now, that changes by the time we get to the later 1800s. and 1900s, you start to see more diversity in terms of barbecue cooks and other things like that. But a lot of the early reports of barbecue um, in Colorado uh, reference African-Americans. And some of the biggest barbecues ever done in Colorado were by African-Americans. The one guy in particular I talk about is a guy named Columbus B. Hill. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about who he was? Yeah. So he's a guy that comes from West Tennessee. Um, and so Hill comes to Denver in the late 1870s. And uh, in short order, he's doing large barbecues. So there was a big barbecue in 1882. It was called the Denver Merchants Barbecue. And the Rocky Mountain News, the Denver Post, all these other newspapers at the time did a big write-up on these things. Columbus B. Hill was one of the cooks, and that was a barbecue for 5000 Wow. And then in, on July 4th, 1890, there was a cornerstone-laying ceremony for our the Colorado State Capitol. And on that occasion, Columbus B. Hill does a barbecue for 25,000 people and right in front of the Capitol. And then in 1898, um, probably the most notorious barbecue ever in Colorado, it was a VIP barbecue for the stock show. Columbus B. Hill was in charge of making a barbecue for just 5,000. It was just VIPs. And word got out in Lodo, which was the seedy part of town at that time, and 30,000 people showed up, and there was actually a food riot. So the whole thing ends in disaster. So he was pretty... He was pretty famous. He was pretty famous. Um, but, you know, by the time he dies, you know, he's just not celebrated. So I actually found his unmarked grave at Riverside Cemetery. And so pre-pandemic, I was actually starting to raise money to buy him, a uh, you know, a headstone. And uh, I had to suspend that because of the pandemic. Because whenever I do this, I want to have a, a actual ceremony. Yeah, no, def I feel like more people need to know need to know our history in that respect. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. So Denver lost an important figure this month, Bruce Randolph Jr., who founded the Boulder Barbecue Restaurant named after his father, Bruce Randolph Sr., who many people know here as Daddy Bruce. Um, can you talk about what the Randolph family's role in the community was in terms of barbecue, but also overall Daddy Bruce's humanitarian work? So I uh, feature Daddy Bruce Sr., in my book, you know, he he's one of the kind of storied barbecuers in, in Denver history. He starts his restaurant in 1960s and, you know, runs it until his death in 1994. But I, I uh, put him in the chapter about church barbecue because I wanted to show the example of a man of faith who did a lot as a humanitarian. So if you don't know Daddy Bruce for his barbecue, you certainly knew about his uh, Thanksgiving meals that he would give away. And that that's just the grandiose example of his generosity. If you talk to him and people who knew him, he was generous in so many other ways. But, you know, uh, thousands of people would be fed every Thanksgiving, and he got national press uh, for doing that. Yeah, and I think a lot of people see those, you know, might see the street or, or see the school and not necessarily realize that he was this incredible humanitarian through food. Do Black-owned barbecue restaurants face different challenges these days in Denver. I'm I'm just thinking about how gentrification has changed the makeup of so many of our neighborhoods, and something that we lose often is is the restaurant or the gathering place. Um, do you feel like that's the case for for restaurants too here? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's no we don't have any barbecue places now in Five Points. We don't have any places in kind of urban, you know, the center of Denver, downtown yeah. Denver. Yeah. 
So most of the Black-owned joints are now in the suburbs or the outskirts of, of town. Uh, and so then that, that, that's a reflection of gentrification. Um, and sadly, it's also a reflection of the havoc uh, wreaked by the pandemic. So yeah. one of my favorite places was Boney's Smokehouse, which was downtown, um, right just off the 16th Street Mall on Champa. But, uh, you know, the pandemic just really cut into their business and they had a large space. So it was just hard to generate income. So they had to close. Uh, maybe they'll come back. I don't know. I, I was going to wait, let some time pass before I reach out to the owners. And, you know, the, the thing about gentrification is this. A lot of times black restaurants are in, you know, they start in a black neighborhood. And you're so you're the neighborhood joint. But when people leave, whether, you know, by choice or for other reasons, then that neighborhood joint becomes a destination restaurant. And unless people make a committed effort to support that restaurant, it just makes it just becomes really challenging. Well, barring the pandemic, are there any places that you could recommend for good barbecue in Denver? Um, you know, in terms of Black-owned barbecue, the, the three places that come to mind, and again, these are um, either in Denver or just in, in you know, the surrounding area. So you've got Hungry Wolf Barbecue on Havana, um, Southtown, and then you've got Winston Hill Barbecue in Centennial. And then in terms just generally, you know, Denver's barbecue scene has just stepped up tremendously. So um, a place I love is Albert Barbecue on 29th and Larimer. You've got Roaming Buffalo. Uh, you've got GQ Barbecue. You've got Rolling Smoke. I mean, there's a lot of good places now. Adrian, thank you so much. This, this has been great. Thank you for having me. Hey, producer Xander McMahon here wishing you a happy holiday on behalf of the whole CityCast Denver team. And I'm here to remind you that we won't have any fresh episodes until the new year, but stick with us. We have more superlatives to hand out this week that we're super excited about. Also, if you're feeling generous and want to give us a present this holiday season, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts would be sublime. All right, we'll talk to you soon.